Hello, my name is Mike Eklund, and welcome to Innovation Room. On this episode, I'm talking to Brock Webb from Fifth Season. And if you ever wondered about vertical farming, if you ever heard that term and wondered what that's all about, uh, today's episode should be really interesting. Brock walks us through the whole concept of vertical farming and indoor agriculture, talks about how they're innovating in many different ways throughout the, the process of growing indoors. It's a super interesting conversation. Hope you enjoy it. Uh, thanks for listening to Innovation Room. All right. All right, Brock. Uh, Brock Webb, it's good to meet you. Thanks for joining good to me, Mike. Thank yeah, you. I, how are you doing today? Doing pretty well. Very good. So today is kind of a, a big day for innovation. Uh, Google I.O. happening right now. I was just watching some of it earlier. And uh, they've um, they've really uh, put artificial intelligence right front and center. As uh, That was probably the first half hour of the keynote was all about AI and their their natural uh, language and understanding and all that. But um, yeah. 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 It's, it's interesting stuff. I mean, it, in general, like it probably to the theme of your show, it's an exciting time to be alive with all those things uh, happening and all, all the stuff that Elon Musk, you know, uh, Mike Zuckerberg and now Google talk about with AI. And it's going to be interesting to see that next steps across the industry. It's already creeping into a lot of things on our smartphones. Yep. That's right. And I, um, I want to ask you about that too, uh, as we get into this, as far as uh, any of those technologies you might be leveraging. But first, um, if you want to just introduce yourself and uh, Fifth Season, so that's your company, and so your role there, and uh, and you know everything about Fifth Season. Sure. Well, I'm kind of got almost a little bit too many titles behind my name. I'm a co-founder uh, of Fifth Season. I'm CTO and COO. And, you know, as we talk today, I think that'll make sense of why that is, because really the, the idea of, hey, let's go and innovate in indoor uh, farming, particularly indoor vertical farming for us, and how do you operate? said farm are really inter tightly intertwined. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's something that we have embraced with our tech forward approach. Um, but, you know, fifth season has been an exciting venture. We've been working on it for five years now. We have a flagship farm in uh, Braddock, Pennsylvania, which is part of Pittsburgh. Okay. Um, we are in uh, many grocery stores here and in uh, Ohio. Um, and fifth season, we're all about fresh. We are disrupting the food chain by uh, bringing folks fresh produce because it's grown literally right next door. Um, mm -hmm. We even had events in Braddock where people come to grab that produce. And so when it depends, you know, our history is kind of the forward approach of looking at indoor agriculture, looking at vertical farming, what kind of automation was needed and the tech problem went through there. But fifth season and now when consumers look at it, it's the way I like to usually phrase that is like for, for them buying produce, it's, oh, look at this, it's locally grown. Mm -hmm. It gets here so quickly. Look at the amazing shel uh, shelf life as a result. Uh, and not just because of our technology, but literally just because it's so close and you don't have the supply chain bringing it across the country. It's really fresh. And so we're bringing people fresh, healthy, non-herbicide, non-pesticide produce uh, from a local environment. And that's enabled because of this amazing technology that we have uh, where we've had to reinvent and really you know, innovate uh, and to use that key term across yeah. every step of the growing process, but really almost like the manufacturing process of plants. Right. So I came across uh, Fifth Season and, and you on LinkedIn. I noticed there was an indoor ag um, summit coming up um, this month or next month. 
And there was just a whole list of companies that were that were on there. And um, you know, this is this is an area that uh, personally I haven't spent a lot of time in. So this is why one of the reasons I reached out to you is because I would love to learn more about what this is. And when I saw you know vertical farming and indoor agriculture, um, these terms were somewhat foreign to me, honestly. And you know, I, I'm a, I'm a tech guy. I've been in software and technology and different industries like pharmaceuticals, healthcare, um, you know, entertainment. But agriculture is one area that, you know, I'd love to understand a little bit better. So if you could explain like just the, you know, what's the history of vertical farming? Where did that come from? What does that mean in, in indoor agriculture? For sure. And I, I love to unpack that, demystify it. And, you know, it's interesting because I'm a, I'm a high tech person as well. I did not have originally an agriculture background, but I went to Virginia Tech. And, mm-hmm. you know, just let me start off with this to say it's almost like a transcendence. You, there's all of these tech schools that were, you know, ag schools, they still have agriculture. And so it's kind of like, here's ag. And then you're going over to the high tech. And, and no one's really closing the loop, which is not how humanity really used to be. I mean, agriculture was where technology was developed. And so, I mean, working on fifth season has been like a transcendence to me to be closing that loop and realize, look at all of the great knowledge that already was in agriculture, that was already in food. Everything from product development, uh, when people are developing food products, how similar that is to tech development companies, how similar it is to software companies, uh, and also just um, you know, closing the loop to say, well, high tech shouldn't apply here too. And then the, it just working together. Uh, so that's just, just been really interesting, uh, over just for my life. Right. And I think that's an interesting for folks to think about. Um, and so indoor agriculture, uh, you know, people are probably pretty familiar with greenhouses, right. And so as you took field farming, uh, indoors and created greenhouses, uh, there's a term called controlled environmental agriculture, uh, that comes about. And so CEA, and a lot of times people are referring to greenhouses for that as well. Um, but really in a greenhouse, what do you, you're not controlling everything. You don't control the sun. I mean, that's that's the main one to talk about. What you do take advantage of is you're assisting in the, the ebbs and flow of the environment uh, with that greenhouse space and keeping the temperature more constant. Uh, and you're able to provide nutrient enriched um, water to the plants, right? And so let's just to keep it simple, almost like dousing them with miracle Grow, as opposed to relying on the soil. So there are a lot more factors that you can control, um, but in a lot of ways, and with hydroponic like type growing methods and stuff developed in greenhouses, you know, it's certainly not the same as planting in a field. And so you can get much more efficient yield, uh, much more consistent quality uh, output from that, uh, but you still, you're gonna open windows. <laughs> There's going to be bugs and other pests that come in. Uh, you've got massive amount of 2D acres, so there's traveling around. Uh, so you're still gonna have those herbicides, you're still on those pesticides, you're still gonna have a lot of water leaks with that large footprint uh, going around and stuff can grow in the water if it's sitting somewhere and you don't even see it, there's gonna be a lot of dirt around. Um, and so it's very much, it, it still feels very much like an agricultural environment. So what's interesting about vertical farming, so when greenhouses were, uh, basically when, when LEDs, let me say this also, greenhouses will supplement um, if the sun, if it's a cloudy day, they'll turn on some lights. It used to be uh, regular light bulbs, and now a lot of places use LEDs. And so that's one way that you get that consistency, like I said, oh. and kind of augment the outdoor environment. And so folks for a long time thought, well, heck, I mean, I could stop uh, stop relying on this sun that has all, all of these different issues that it causes for me. Uh, as a as a as a someone who's uh, charged with the tech of a large greenhouse once told me, he said the, the sun is not free. 
<laughs> we have to open the windows. We have to deal with all the bugs, the herbicides, the pesticides, all of the paints that come from uh, anything from the outdoor environment exposing this. He's like, so there's actually a good amount of cost to it. So there's a good amount of cost savings by just not using the sun, quote unquote, even mm -hmm. though you have to use energy to drive LEDs. So as LEDs became CapEx efficient enough to buy and then OpEx efficient enough to run from an sure. energy use point, you know, it's like, ah, let's, let's go 3D. And so folks first did that and said, so let's take indoor agriculture, which really, and controlled environmental agriculture that now starts to look at those two main things. There's a greenhouse and there's a vertical farm. And it was, you know, the thought was like, well, let's not, well, let's just go vertical. Um, but then new problems arose. So uh, they realized that even though you could span with labor, all of that 2D space, if you have the same equivalent 2D space in a 3D space, uh, essentially having to travel less, they still had labor issues and complexity uh, getting and dealing with the plants. Uh, and so from that angle, what we're seeing today and what companies like ours, how we got started was looking at, well, how can automation help that out? But honestly, as we continue to peel this onion, and I think as many other companies that started even on that next wave of realizing there's automation there to handle that 3D space, you really start to realize also that vertical farming, unlike a greenhouse, is more looking more is looking more like a biological manufacturing environment mm -hmm. than an agricultural environment. And so you really can go from seed to the package and everything that's in it in one super clean, uh, uh, you know, smart, uh, in a lot of ways, smart manufacturing type method. And that's what we've embraced here at Fifth Season. So when, when you use the term vertical, is that referring to like the, the narrow band of types of um, plants and crops that you're growing? Or is there is vertical meaning that it's in a building? Like that's how. Yeah, yeah. Ver vertical literally mean because you don't have to have exposure to the sun, that you could have plants growing uh, on a level on top of another one, or you could have plants growing up a wall uh, and yeah. just, you know, almost have walls next to each other and the lights facing uh, sideways, right? So it's e almost easier sometimes. And it is true that, that when you have what I call true CA, what vertical farms allow, it's like you're controlling everything in that environment. Yeah. Um, you could say, well, what would stop you from doing this on Mars? Nothing, right? It's the, right. that same thing. So in zero gravity, does it really matter how you're oriented to the plants as long as the light's getting to them? That's that's really the way to think about it. Yeah. So I saw that uh, IKEA has some kind of outbuilding that they that they're doing some vertical farming with, and it's some kind of movement they're they're trying to to get into. Um, so really, if you had, if you can put together any space indoors, you can, you can, and the right kind of lighting, and I'm assuming that you need some humidity conditions or whatever in order to grow, you can pretty much grow anywhere inside. Is that true? That is correct. Yeah. Yeah. I would say today, I mean, if you wanted to take a room in your house and convert it, you totally could, uh, and use uh, very hydroponic or aeroponic. And there's very, even various details behind those methods, uh, to grow. Uh, and that's something I can touch on too, if you want to know a little bit more about that. But you, I want to mention that you you touched on the humidity and temperature, right? Mm -hmm. And that's actually the most important factors to plants. Uh, and so, you know, again, when you look at vertical farming, you say, hey, it's a 3D space, we got to move stuff around, but you also have this chance to have this true controlled, like truly controlled, 100% controlled environment, uh, which means you need to have great HVAC. And a lot of folks have also learned that the hard way. Uh, mm -hmm. So we worked to get a very high end HVAC system that was ready to handle what the plants need. And so we don't have we don't have microclimates uh, really in, in the more complicated sense of the word. In other words, we're not going and this happens even in greenhouses where growers are saying, OK, well, in this pocket of the room or in this pocket mm -hmm. of the farm, we're going to have to grow this slightly different. We're going to irrigate different. We're going to run the lights different. I mean, we have uh, at most uh, like a one degree Celsius difference across our entire growing environment. Uh, so really pristine control. And what that leads to from an innovation standpoint is you say, well, 
gosh, if it's the same every time, I guess the plants would come out the exact same every time. And you, it is like manufacturing a widget. That widget just happens to be plants. And that's 100% true. So it's the mm-hmm. guaranteed growth cycle time that we have. You know, we'll get that crop the same way after 21 days every single time. Right. And so you're saying that with LED light, you can emulate enough, get enough, uh, whatever photosynthesis. Is that it? That, that, that makes things happen. Exactly. I'm pulling from my sixth grade science right now. (laughs) That's okay. You know, I, I always joke. It's like, I'm great at growing in these environments we made to do hydroponic style, vertical farming. But if I try to grow in a soil potted plant in my house, it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. Um, so you were talking about your growing environments. So talk about a, a bit about how, um, fifth season has set up their indoor. Yeah. How have you set up all of your, your growing environments there? Is it all one location? Is it, you have it spread out? Yeah. So, um, we have one flagship farm at 60,000 square feet, 25,000 square feet of that is what we call the growing environment. Mm -hmm. Um, and so to get in and out of that, I mean, really you look at the process, you know, we have, you receive items, the media, the seeds, the fertilizer we mix to make our nutrient enriched water, this miracle grow. Okay. Uh, and there's a smart manufacturing process that we have that the farm basically wakes up and says, seed me this. Mm. And we can do that because we have deterministic growth time. So whatever was where this needs to go has already been coming out, has already planned to come out. And so a grower doesn't need to go in there and say, hey, does this need another day or two? Um, so anyway, as these seeding go into our grow environment, that is all moved by machines. So we, we uh, in some of the ways we innovate and I can touch on more of this later as we, uh, once we get in depth, but you know, we bring uh, plants to the people, not people to the plants. So someone mm-hmm. there helps it get seeded with machines and then the machines take it away. They take it into this grow environment where humans don't have to go. The plant is just grown. It gets the LEDs. It mm-hmm. gets the irrigation of that nutrient rich water. It, it has that very controlled temperature, humidity environment. So that 25,000 square feet, we've split it into uh, two different main uh, environments that we can grow in. Uh, and the plants go through their life cycle. They're sometimes moving to get different uh uh, environmental settings, namely around LED spectrum, around uh, the light intensity from the LEDs. Uh, and then when they're at their time that they're ready to come out to be harvested, they come out that day. And how long does that cycle take for oh, to harvest? It varies, it varies based on the crop. So yeah. our spring mixes are at 21 days. And that's certainly at least a week, if not sometimes two, faster than you would get in traditional farming. That was show my you. next question. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so at 20, what, so what does that mean? 21 days. So you plant and then 21 days later, you can harvest we package it. Yep. No we harvest it and we pack it and it goes wow. to the store and then it goes to the store after the day after that. And what kind of, um, like, what are you growing exactly? What? Uh, yeah. so we have two main, two main spring, right now we have two main spring mixes, uh, okay. spinach, which is unlike any spinach I've ever tried before. It's amazing. Uh, I've always liked spinach, but this may be a spinach lover. I mean, the quality of what we grow is because the plants get that perfect environment. I mean, it's amazing taste you, you literally taste and you say, oh, this is what it's supposed to taste like. It's one of really? those stories. And then our fourth main skew that we just came out with uh, is, is baby romaine. And so we have our hmm. own approach to baby romaine. What's exciting about our products is uh, we have economies of scope. So everything that we grow can also go in our ready to eat salads. And because it's herbicide and pesticide free, we can just take it directly from what's harvested and put it in the salad with the beans or uh, the cheese, um, you know, other value added ingredients, as we call it in the dressing and folks get that. And so the shelf life on our greens, we have uh, two weeks, sometimes more for the greens that come out and then the salads are 10 days. So we actually have a D to C program where folks can get uh, salads. Uh, they'll get their salads delivered to them or their leafy greens once a week. And that lasts all week. So you're not going to the store buying something saying, I got to try to eat it this day or tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Otherwise it might go bad if it hasn't already. 
uh, it sits in there. It, you have you, you can order your lunches for the entire week. So it's a great. It, it, there's just so many advantages to so both the, the because of the permanentistic output and that high quality. Yeah, I can see that. So the some consumers can go to your website, sign up as a as a customer. I saw you I had a pop up with thirty percent discount first time or something. <laughs> And they yeah. can they can order like you know home delivery for their greens is 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 essentially the the, the full play there. Yep, yep, for their greens and those ready to eat salads. So you can get everything you need to make your make your own salads, top your burger, and or just take a salad on the go. Right, it's so awesome. And so you do everything from obviously the growing, the packaging, and the delivery. Yeah, we work with some third party companies, right? So right now, as we've grown, we work with a third party company right now that packs our salads, like takes our leafy greens and puts them mm-hmm. in, a, in something in a salad. And then to do our transportation, uh, including the uh, uh, the direct to consumer. Um, but we do the packing of our greens at our own facility. And as we expand, we're actually going to bring that salad packing into where the greens get harvested. And then they immediately go through the pack to get all of their value added ingredients to make that salad. So we can really automate the entire thing. That's amazing. And so are, are you are um, so what what are you employing in order to keep everything efficient uh, operationally? So I mean technology wise, um, mm-hmm. are you have you explored um, new types of automation or you know what kind of innovative things are you using on the tech side of of, of your uh, your operation that are helping keep things running smoothly. Yeah, I really appreciate that question. It's great because it, you know when you look at the innovative growing environment, that was a problem we had to solve. But then when you you know when we look at our company and say, well, we're not just making a growing environment. We have to have a, a good operations environment, a good manufacturing environment. Uh, we have developed all of our own software in house. Mm-hmm. So when it's our automation, even it's even if it's as simple as let's irrigate the plants or let's move. Uh, a tray of plants from point A to point B, uh, we have we end up having that come to our own embedded system. That is okay. that is what we call our bot. And so we've created uh, our our plant, our farm ex- contains about 42 unique different bots. So really? some of those are more than once because it's a product we use ourselves. So mm-hmm. we're very much a product oriented company. And I think that's so in, important for innovation and tech development, right? Mm-hmm. Which is to say, hey, even when you have an internal customer, don't think of this like an old school manufacturing environment where, okay, I did my engineering, okay, operator design person do this. And then when there's a problem, I guess you call, call that person if you can get in touch with them. No, this is a, a completely packaged up product, this automation piece of equipment that is supported. I mean, there's a hotline you can call, so to speak, to get our own internal escalated tech support for it. And there's maintenance documentation. And then we have uh, so these are bots. the same number. So these are, yeah, uh, these, these are, are these, these are software bots or these are actual physical robots? These are the actual automation bots. But the key yeah. is even if we, even if we tie a, a large uh, third-party piece of equipment that has a PLC uh, into our own system, we still control that PLC with our embedded system. So outside of that, when we go to design the facility, the facility design includes a software design, which will be the same at every single mm-hmm. Uh, site where we have written all of that software in-house. So it's all proprietary, all in-house. And so it does everything from, you know, when I said the farm wakes up and says, hey, seed me this. And by the way, here you go, harvest that. Uh, that's all done because it has backwards planned. Hey, here is the demand plan. Here is what we need. We know it takes 21 days because that doesn't alter. It can say, well, I actually have enough capacity to be able to grow that. I think of it like seats on an airplane. Mm-hmm. Our system can say, hey, you want to get from you know Pittsburgh to San Francisco and you want to get there uh in you know 21 days from now we're working backwards you say hey i want that on june 1st let's say it looks backwards and say but you have preferences you say i like to sit in front of the wings on the right side of the plane in an aisle seat 
And then it just tells you, well, there's no flights that have that seat available, right? But if you want to get there on the second, you can't. So all of that demand planning is done. So once that's done, and because of this, this grow recipe, we've created this platform for our growers. And so this grow recipe, like a smart oven, the plants will go in and come the same out the same at the exact same time every, every time. It plants backwards. The only thing left is for that facility to wake up and ask the operations, hey, can you give me this? And further, furthermore, they don't have to say, hey, resource. We don't have a resource-driven environment. Hey, uh, this part of the grow room, this uh, section of growing, uh, turn your lights on at this time. Okay, let me put the plants there. Oh, mm-hmm. shoot. I forgot to turn the lights on like that smart oven. We have traceability down to uh, basically a four by four growing area in, in the farm. And so it, that little piece says, this is what I need and I'm going to grow it. So the plants are heading on ourselves. And then because we have all that proprietary software to get back to your question, you know, this is really where it's like, great. The grow environment was one thing we had to innovate. The next thing is we, we are innovating a smart manufacturing environment. It just mm-hmm. happens to be for making these leafy greens. And so that system with that customer's custom software, these bots, for example, they automatically, and for, for tech folks out there they love this they automatically populate jira which is what you know or even our maintenance team use and then the bots say hey by the way you're supposed to do your quarterly uh piece of maintenance of the preventative maintenance of this for me and then they mm-hmm. just check it off the list no human reducing human error as much as we can in every place and having that smart environment where the machines are really we call it is a cobotic approach ask for assistance from the human so they can just do their job right so you have not only do you have um uh a system in order to to grow and distribute these these healthy greens and you know uh and provide this service to a to consumers you also have kind of a, a patented smart manufacturing blueprint where you could essentially license that to someone i'm guessing and say grow carrots or whatever you want to do and and you can just use our our platform in order to make that happen Exactly. Yep. So, you know, right now we're, you know, we're almost three companies in one. Like I said, the team making the automation, the team making a turnkey facility you could license, uh, almost like franchising a McDonald's. And then yeah. also the innovative food products company. When you look at fast food, a lot of ways it is kind of similar to that model of innovating in all of these three, uh, three places. Um, and so right now we're focused, you know, fifth season is focused on that being that food products brand, but we, we, we do actively talk to folks about potentially we build a, a farm for you or, and the value of our software to that process. And so it's everything from, um, to get into more value, you know, it's everything from, we could, uh, license out the data and have someone growing in one of our existing facilities. They just want to collect data or they want to get something particular out. Mm-hmm. We could, um, license space in one of our farms. We could license an entire farm um for for folks to do and it comes like a franchise mcdonald's where hey it's it's built this way it's meant to be run this way and if you do that um you will get you know your profit and loss your high quality right. uh plants your your output um and to mention that part on the data we collect over twenty six thousand data points a minute in this farm wow uh, so a greenhouse for example will typically have uh, you know one temperature humidity sensor per acre Mm-hmm. Uh, we have 3,000 in that 26,000 square foot, but three-dimensional growing space. But that's an equivalent to um, uh, a temperature sensor about every about every six feet in in a three-dimensional directional space. Wow! So all this data is coming from IoT sensors, or just sensors? Maybe not IoT, but it. Well, it is. It is IoT. Yeah, okay. that's how we did. It. I mean, that's been our innovation approach. The reason we can collect all that data is, you know, we'll have expensive, highly reliable, kind of industry standard, if you will, sensors that still tie into our custom embedded systems, mm-hmm. but then we can leverage, you know, 
literally what we said internally was like the idea of makers and, you know, and all, you know, cost effective hardware now and easy to create uh, uh, sensing and things like that, that we can have a lot of really cost effective sensors throughout the system that we can use to collect the data for that is for analysis. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's definitely the place where we've innovated as well. That's fascinating. So let me, let me just ask you about this uh, when it comes to um, the traditional outdoor farming and, and what that, you know, there's been challenges of with that forever um, you know, and, uh, you know, farm aid and all that, that was created back in, in the, in the mid eighties in order to help the farmers. So what is, how is this impacting or how is this working alongside or replacing outdoor farming? Like what, what's happening with those two worlds? Certainly. I mean, you know, the big thing and we, you know, what's interesting is that the indoor vertical farming or the indoor farming space and then and, and moving towards vertical farming, it's been, gosh, it's about 15 years, $2 billion going into that industry. It's really clean that this is where the innovation is going to happen, which will okay. disrupt the outdoor growing, as you're saying. But that's still only about 2% of the market that is sold. And the biggest reason behind that uh, is because of the unit economics. So outdoor growing, when you get a lot of your, a lot of this leafy green and herb type produce that we're talking about will be grown. If it's not grown in a greenhouse, it'll be grown uh, out West uh, or mm -hmm. even in another country. And that's where the long supply chains come. That's why when something goes wrong, everybody says, oh, baby romaine, nobody has baby romaine anymore because they can't tell where it came from. They can't tell what got mixed together. And so if one little bit is contaminated. They just consume basically the entire uh, American supply is contaminated. Um, but there's still, you know, outdoor growing can be cost effective. You know, indoor farming, it's like, it solves a lot of the problems. I mean, so if we, we really can't get contaminated. I mean, anything is possible, but I can't really think of a way that we can get the same kind of like, I mean, coli type contamination in our facility. Cause you mm -hmm. don't have humans going out there. They're doing that. So it almost have to be because of a, a malicious action. But even if someone did that, uh, they'd have to try even harder to do probably impact more than a 20th of it. And that's just one farm. We could have multiple farms in cities. So you're reducing the supply chain, uh, which is going to save costs. You're going to uh, up the resiliency of the food mm -hmm. supply uh, in the country, which is important. And so for that, uh, and then you have that high quality um, and that healthiness of not herbicide and pesticide. So there's a lot of interest in it. And it's really about getting to that unit economics. And a lot of that has been focused on the labor uh, mm -hmm. problem that I mentioned. And then a lot of it's also, I mean, the energy aspect is still there. And so we're really, we're, we're the first, uh, as far as I know, pro uh, vertical farm is going to show profit, profitable unit economics, you know, especially coming in our first facility. So we've really played a huge catch up in how we've innovated. And that's just been our software minded tech forward approach. And, you know, sustainable sustainability is a big part of it too. So when you say, how's it going to disrupt Western growers? Um, you know, you, you don't have your soil degradation. You can be up to 95% uh, less water and less, um, less land usage because you're 2D or because you're 3D now as opposed to 2D uh, and, and not to mention the efficiency, right? That you grow on that, in that same equivalent 2D era versus uh, outdoor farming. And so over time it will it will catch up. And so mm -hmm. the, the disruption will really be that I think this is how, this is where humanity will move to growing. Just as like a lot of items have moved into greenhouses where 15 years ago, that wasn't uh, the case, especially in America. Uh, the same thing will happen. I think we'll see for vertical farming. And as people solve all of the difficult problems that it has, because it does have a lot uh, and yeah. they're hard to find until you're doing it, unless you really are looking through it like we did that lens that, no, this is a smart manufacturing problem. Mm -hmm. This is an automation problem. This is not a growing problem. It's not an ag problem. Um, and so when you're when you're solving those, that you know that it takes time and you'll get to where, uh, you know, you can hit your, your Western grown uh, prices. Right. And so you mentioned the yield. Um, and so 
you know, when you think about how this scales up, right? So if you were to really try and provide uh, a mass amount of greens to mm. individuals and, uh, you know, McDonald's, you know, they, all the, yeah. the lettuce that's going on every burger is going to come from fifth season. Can you do that? Yeah, one day. So, and right. the way we would do that, I mean, I think the way that we would partner to do that is you you build a lot more facilities. We have an inverter yeah. model. We're not trying to build one mega facility or four. So yeah. we can, you know, for a large customer like that, we could build a facility that grows just what they need and only what they need. So it's optimized to it right mm -hmm. next to the right next to their um, distribution centers, which means you, again, you get rid of that supply chain. When you look at, when you look at fresh lettuce of problems, you know, supply chain is a big part of what this, this solves. And I really think the next place of innovation, even within vertical farming, now that you check the boxes on the grow environment and you check the boxes on the smart facility supply chain. I mean, when you look at the kind of lettuce that goes in, uh, you know, the bag, the bag type greens mm -hmm. that you buy at the grocery store, they'll have to get them in from the field within 24 hours and get them packed within the next 24 hours. And they're throwing away truckloads that they've already got. So not as a wasteful for the greens, uh, you just have all that carbon footprint of the trucks. Sure. So, I mean, it's going to save a lot of money for those customers. So I'm like, what's, it's great to see what is sustainability, like what is sustainable, what is environmentally friendly, also being on the, on the positive side of business and, and economics, because you say, well, now you don't have to truck your greens and look at this. You have less that you're throwing away. You're paying less for costs. Now you can tell the story to your customers as well about how that's green. Um, and, and so it's dedicated to you and we can do the same thing with our ready to eat salads. I mean, I think, I think it'd be awesome at Manano's not just put the, the greens on their burger, but also have a great new salad option to buy uh, mm -hmm. at McDonald's. Hopefully they're listening to this. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I know some people there maybe. Um, so, um, but so the, you talk about sustainability and I get it. I get the supply chain thing that that's a no brainer. I mean, when you, when, as soon as you said, build the, the facility right next to the distribution, I mean, that's, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's so brilliant. Like it just makes sense, but don't you then transfer some of the, the carbon footprint into the electricity and all the stuff that needs to happen in the building? Yeah, you're, I mean, exactly. You're correct. When you look at the energy usage of any of these types of environment, you do transfer that. I mean, I think, and that's something, you know, and, and some, a way that we're differentiated well is like, let's just be honest about what is it that you, where have you reduced waste and where has it changed? Mm -hmm. um, and from an innovation standpoint, let me say this. I mean, I personally believe like in the technological cul-de-sac, so to speak, and I think we are turning as a species. And I, I think if you think as a futurist, this is how most movies would look, right? We, you say, hey, we're going to make X and we're all, the more efficient we get at it, we're going to just turn energy into X. Mm -hmm. Right. And so what we need to look at and, and unlike a futures movie where we go to another planet and just suck out their energy, but we don't need anything else. But, you know, is how can we how can we solve the energy problem, which is great because we're all kind of converging, whereas opposed to having a bunch of disparate problems, you know, how do we make clean energy? How do we get efficiently mm -hmm. created energy that is so important? And so, yes, when you're converting energy into anything in any in any industry, which I think is where tech innovation will always lead it. You know, we have to be we need to be innovating on that energy energy um, mm -hmm. creation side. Right. So you mentioned at the very beginning that uh, you originally weren't into agriculture, but then you somehow got into it. Can you explain a bit on, on you know, how did you get to where you are here at Fifth Season? What what brought you through agriculture? Totally. Well, so my actually my brother, uh, him and I co-founded this startup. Uh, okay. he, he was getting his MBA at uh, Carnegie Mellon University, Tepper School of Business. And uh, so he was started looking at this industry and thought it was interesting um, as a place to potentially start a startup. So he, he is a business guy. I'm a tech guy. And so even at a very young age, especially with the entrepreneurial bugs hitting us, it's got, hey, isn't this the perfect match? Yeah. Um, 
And so he met another, uh, another guy where he's like, they were sort of looking at the automation problem and maybe you could make, you know, some, uh, whiz bang piece of automation that's going to help these companies that are starting vertical farming. And he started pulling the thread and gosh, I don't even think it was a month before he was like, well, heck, we should just sell the produce, meaning we're building the facility and doing this. So he gave me a call and that's right. You know, really looking at it, he, he had the, the realization and I think it really codified it to say, it's like, well, that is a software problem. You know, you're looking at, um, how does that all work together? And like, honestly, sure. You're going to, the problem of moving the produce around, you know, that's a problem, but, uh, coordinating everything around that. I mean, if you move it, you don't want to irrigate where it was. I mean, there's a lot that needs to be figured out here and mm -hmm. everybody who's done it thus far didn't have some trying to move it automatically. Is it ready to plug and play? And is that even right? And how much does that cost? And so there's always the build versus buy stuff. So we, that, anyway, that's how we started is, you know, he gave me the call. And so when it comes to agriculture, so I, this was a new problem for me. And I just thought, I was working a little bit. I was interested in aquaponics uh, and aquaculture. Mm -hmm. And that comes, that is very similar to what it takes to manage the, the fertigation, which is like the fertilizers and irrigation. It's a nice portmanteau, the term in the industry that's used. Okay. Um, and that's a huge part about what needs to be controlled. So I started by saying, hey, that's a, a system I know of. I was also doing IoT-based work at the time. That's something else I know of. Mm -hmm. And I've just kind of always had this interest in how do you have this you know, smart uh, operations environment. And so tying it all together and realizing that this problem was that, it's just been very exciting to work on. Uh, and and I've gotten very into both growing and eating plants <laughs> as a result. I yeah. was not a big salad eater or greens eater, and now I eat a salad almost every day for lunch. It's actually, it's our salads because they're amazing, but um, it's really converted me, actually. that's uh, I, That sounds amazing. Yeah, I, I want, I'd like to try one, but I'm in Chicago, yeah, so I'll I don't get know you how. Some. I, yeah, we'll figure it out. Um, so you're, so you're, you're the brainchild behind all of the, the automation and the, 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 um, the bot, the 42 bots you developed, that's all, all from, from your side of the house. Well, I'll say a team effort, you know, me yeah. and, uh, another Austin, <laughs> it was one of our co-founders, uh, you know, we worked, we worked on a lot of the tech ideas together and then the grow environment and then just mm -hmm. building up a team all over time, um, you know, that's, that's how we really just solved each problem one step of the way. And, and we have a very cross-discipline team. You know, that's an important part. I, I reference a lot Conway's law, law and say how you structure your team is how your system will get structured and vice versa. And so it's just very important to us that we have, uh, you know, a hardware engineer, a software engineer, a grower, an operations expert, a food safety expert um, working on every step of the process and say, let's look at seed. Not let mm -hmm. me go through seed through pack, and then the next person comes in and say, "I'm going to do food safety seed through pack." You know, you'll you'll eventually realize it's kind of it's kind of like you didn't do DFM. <laughs> you'll eventually realize, oh, we didn't design for the manufacturer, we didn't design for food safety, mm -hmm. and that comes back. So it's having that team collaborate every every step of the way, and that's really how we've um, changed the game. In fact, we got a hundred percent on our SQF level two um food safety okay. review it's new names that people classically low know it is suf level two um but that is just another differentiation factor so that's incredibly rare <laughs> and so the auditor was like this is only the second time in 25 years i've given a 100 percent, and that all can happen though because you have this indoor controlled environment with a bunch right. of software that's ensuring that everybody does exactly the right thing so it's repeatable and and that kind of deterministic thing like you said it comes to the operations and we can re uh we can repeat that so that's just an that's just another exciting aspect of it that's very cool congratulations on that it's kind of like the thank you the uh the tesla safety rating that's never been matched um <laughs> that's right yeah exactly yeah. so We'll get a little bit deeper into the into the uh, software for a minute for the the software nerds. Um, sure, I love it. You, it's my favorite thing. <laughs> what do you? 
how are you building all this? Like, are you building and and are you developing it in open source? Like, what what's all the, the the toolkits that you're using and leveraging? Sure. So, you know, when we started, I didn't know what to call it because it's like bigger than full stack. You know, when you look at IoT, IoT even it's like super stack. So it's like, what happens when you're going to do everything from we're going to have our hardware abstraction layer down at the hardware thing, the actuator sensor for your IoT, and we're going to do stacks all the way up to the firmware that is efficiently firmware, quote unquote, which is efficiently connected to the cloud and the cloud all the way to a UI. And there's a lot of folks that are doing that. We were doing, we're doing it in a, in a pretty difficult, like tough, uh, a lot of tough tech problems to solve environment. So what are we using every step of the way uh, to be a little open about it? Yeah. I mean, uh, we have our own embedded systems throughout the facility. Uh, we're using, we code at a high level language, right? So I'm, uh, <laughs> I guess it's a, I'll throw it out there for the tech software guys. I'm anti-PLC. I was going to think, how do I want to put that in public? But I'm anti-PLC. So, you know, we're coding in Node.js even at that quote-unquote firmware le- level. Okay. To be doing everything from con- hardware control, a controller, like your controls um, mm-hmm. logic uh, in a very modern sense with a lot of modularity, a lot of abstraction, um, to, to some business logic, to, you know, your cloud um, you know, transportation layers and things that are going to be working with your IoT cloud. And then coming into that, um, we, we've been, we've been on AWS, uh, we're on Azure. We're always kind of looking for what's mm-hmm. best really open. Uh, we do have an edge network, I should also say at our farm. Uh, so in the cloud and locally, we're leveraging, uh, Kubernetes okay. to have no fun. And so we look at it, we're like, each bot is almost like your fingers, right. And, and, mm-hmm. and just like your finger, if it was to touch something too hot, it moves itself before your brain even registers, but also there's, there is the brain to help coordinate all of these things together that you need to do and help provide instructions. And that's our very robotic like approach that each thing is like making its own decisions, but there's also this edge that helps with that and coordinating what the farm needs to do. And then we have the cloud that once we have multiple farms can coordinate among them and also make it so, uh, you know, you could update your grow recipe or your operations planning, uh, mm-hmm. you know, from Hawaii. I can also like a server uh, go in and turn on uh, an individual relay set of lights uh, in a grower from a command line if I wanted to. Uh, mm-hmm. And so it's just all going, you know, when you're looking, when you're looking at that cloud stack, uh, again, we actually use Node.js yeah, throughout and in and, and Azure for our um, for our stack there. But um, yes, yeah, very IoT like environment, very data center almost like environment to get from you know where you're at connected to the cloud all the way down to a hardware resource at the farm. That's fascinating. I'm going to have an Azure uh, one of the top Azure um, uh, evangelists on uh, pretty soon. Someone I, I know awesome. there who we've gone we've worked together over the years. And I'll make sure I share this with her because um, that's a that's a really fascinating uh, super stack. I haven't I, I honestly haven't heard that term, but I, I get it because you're really, you really you are stacking all the way down to the physical sensor and uh, or up, whichever way you want to look at it. Whichever way, wait, depends on where you started your career, actually. <laughs> yeah, right. Look at it. But you know, what's fun. I, hey, I'm trying to coin that term. Help me out. So because I, I do like it. <laughs> yeah, it's good. And, so, and there's amazing, you know, what I was lucky to find is there's amazing developers out there like myself that's kind of one way or the other through their career or just because they, they've been programming at home all the time and love to play with everything. The maker movement, I think, is a big reason for this, mm-hmm. as well as how easy it is to make cloud software. So if you're a hardware guy, you start programming cloud stuff. If you're a cloud guy, you know, you start programming down uh, with Adafruit um, uh, hardware or something like that. And you really get that full breath. And so we, we have folks that really can be quote-unquote super stack developers. That's uh, right. And that's key. That's it's, that system awareness is so key. Uh, right. Because it's so complex, really. Right. So let me find out, let me ask you a bit about your, your competition. So it really sounds like you're, you are super cutting edge, leading edge. Um, 
in in this space. And uh, like I said, I saw this ag tech summit coming up with hundreds of companies that are involved. I'm assuming you guys are in that. I think that's where I I found fifth season. Um, yeah, yeah. Talk it's about the competition and you know, like how easy is it to re, re, recreate what you've done there, or are are there different sectors in this indoor ag, ag tech space? There are, and you know, when I talk about only having like two percent of the market, it's almost like it's almost like too much competition. It reminds me kind of of Sirius and XM realizing, hey, <laughs> really, we're not satellite radio. We branded that wrong. Um, yeah. Really, you're buying streaming music. <laughs> There's a lot of competition. We're just one method, and that's that's really how I see vertical uh, vertical farming. Um, you know, there's been a lot of tech companies that that have come and gone. Uh, tremendous amount of money put into space. Uh, you know, some companies have some a decent amount to show for it. Others not that much. Um, we've made we've been incredibly cap- capitally and time efficient uh, for ourselves. Um, and so, when you look at what some other folks are doing, I mean, for us, let me talk about some of our design principles, our our system architecting principles. And when I say system, it spans more than just engineering, as I was talking about before. But like I said earlier on, it's like bring plans to the people, not people to the plans. The second major thing to hit on your point, it was like design around existing growing and automation methods. And as a result, um, you know, there are places where we can leverage 50, 60, 80 percent of some kind of method, some kind of design out there, even work with a third party company mm-hmm. to help design it. And then that's much more reliable. It helps us move fast. Not everything we made is customized. Um, but it, but it means that you know in the end that last that last mile there if you will or the if you were to use robotic terms the end effector but a, a lot of times there's like a lot a little bit more automation that 20 percent of automation there to that end and what we made it makes it very hard to replicate right and so we have a pending patent on our on our growing process so it's hard to replicate um, but easy to imitate I mean I think mm-hmm. if you were to come to our farm and be able to walk through and look everything as a, as a talented engineer you would be able to go replicate <laughs> right sure. so it's it's not that if you're staring at it you can't understand what's going on but it's not not, it, it is novel. It's not something you need to stand. But, but for example, we, um, with some of the third-party companies we, we work for, they they are international companies that provide uh, automation um, solutions to companies all over the world. Companies as big as Amazon, right? Mm-hmm. Or provide uh, parts and solutions to uh, you know hardware-based solutions to companies as large as Home Depot. So we have all kinds of custom. We worked on them with customizations. Sometimes we'll get things and we have customizations that we have manufactured and add to it. So that is our secret sauce, but that also means that we're easy to easy to replicate. And so I really think that's a big place where we've we've differentiated. When you look at some competitors, I think that there's come someone that used the term noodling. So there's like noodling around, hey, well, now that we don't need to rely on the sun, why don't we? why don't we grow upside down? It's like, well, you could, right? <laughs> why, don't, yeah. why don't we grow where there's just greens and roots and stuff everywhere, which is what uh, a lot of aeroponic growing looks like. It's like, yeah, that's awesome. But like, if you need to move the plants around, how are you going to, to do that? Especially without hurting them. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, well now you can't move them midlife. And so these two principles together, I think really, you know, it took us a couple years really to land on what our final solution was mm-hmm. uh, uh, to implement in this flagship farm, but it's what drove us there. And then last but not least is, I mentioned before the software side, uh, you know, from what we've heard, and I don't know because everybody does release a certain amount, you know, because there's the battle for capital when you look at these startups, like I was talking about. But um, in this space, we're really, you know, we're kind of all together in this new sustainable approach in uh, performing. But, but I, from my understanding, is that we're the only one that has a completely proprietary software system, especially end to end, right? And especially doing that super stack, like we've talked about. 
Uh, and that, you know, I think the fact that we, um, there's a great talk by Steve Jobs I listened to. I think the answer has been out there for a long time where he was giving a, a talk and talked about, hey, when you want to change manufacturing, he's like, what we needed to do is we just got some software guys and said, don't worry, you will enjoy this. It's actually an exciting problem. Go look at it with your software mindset. How would you solve it? Right. And that's what we've done. Right. And as a result, I think we get something that's very different. Right. And as a result, it can tie together with software. It just ties in. It's not an afterthought. Um, and so that the and and training everyone to have that software mindset, even our, you know, grow uh, researchers or plant mm -hmm. scientists um, having that mindset. That's really been another way that that we have differentiated from them. And so I think that's what you'll see if you start to look around the spaces. Oh, look at these novel ways to grow. But can folks automate around it? Um, look at these awesome robotics. But when you have your completely uncontrolled environment, do you need to make it such that you would have the same robotics as if it was going through a field which you don't control, right? And so I think that's, you know, a way of kind of a little hint that some of our secret sauce is there. And then finally, you know, have you made your own software and do you, do you really, does your, is your software the brain, that, is it truly the brain that's really controlling everything and really right. thinking through everything? And that's really the difference. Yeah. And it's fascinating too. I, you know, what's, what I'm, I'm so happy and, and this gets me excited to, to listen to all this because when I first started thinking about, you know, what is it, what kind of innovations happening with agriculture, right? It's, it's an area that's okay. You throw a seed in the ground and it grows a plant on its own. You know, it's like you, you water, give it some sun, like where's the, where's the innovation. And, um, <laughs> cause it's so it's been around for, you know, 10,000 years, whatever. So, um, this has so much more, what you've described over the last 45 minutes has so much more innovation that, uh, I think people don't even realize how, how much you're doing there, um, or what's, what you've, what you've accomplished. And, and, uh, it's, it's quite impressive. Um, you know, so congratulations on that. Um, thank you. I yeah, really yeah. appreciate it. What do you, so what do you see for fifth season in five years? Like what's the, what's the, the, the big play, or maybe you're already there. You guys have been around for how long now? We've been around for five years. Five. So what happens yeah. in five to ten years from now for fifth season? Oh my gosh! I well, I think I think everybody will know her name, right? That's what I hope. Everybody knows her name, and in five to ten years, we've got farms in many places, so we can be in every, you know grocery stores and other places. That's why I'm excited about our salads, as we especially as we mm -hmm. automate that more and get it to folks that. You could get a healthy to eat salad at a convenience store, you know, at a gas station or your or or going to your grocery store, getting the greens. And so it's really to all of a sudden for folks to know, you know, here's a great food brand. There's seven seconds. I pick up a great food brand and I'm exposed to this one when fifth season becomes that name that folks know. And then also, you know, as people look into it, they're starting to understand why what are the advantages to indoor agriculture to the point of your, your, you know, your conversation here about all of that, but even more so this particular type, you know, herbicide and pesticide free and what that means. Um, mm -hmm. And so people, it's, it's both that exposure to, to folks just, you know, as a company having and having that and, get, and getting out and helping people. Uh, yeah, every time we build a farm in an urban environment, um, we're going to open up. Uh, agricultural jobs in a region where people don't typically have it. Uh, right. and I think that's right. exciting. Uh, and so just getting people to, to get that exposure of, you know, this, this may, may be the next, the last, I don't know, agricultural revolution and, and we're growing in this urban environment and I can, I can buy it and they can, and they can understand the benefits of it. Uh, you know, to me, that's what the next five to 10 years hold. And then, you know, after that, I think it's just making sure we build our Mars farm. Like I was saying. Right. Yeah, sure. Uh, Elon will invite you on the, on the rocket to, yeah, that's that the happen. goal. Hopefully he's listening too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, Brock, uh, thank you so much uh, for joining me. This has been a fascinating discussion. 
I wish you guys uh, the best of luck. I really want to try one of the salads. I, you know, I think it sounds awesome. And uh, I'll have to figure out how to get some to Chicago. But um, we'll do that. We'll get you a VOP treatment and RD to see stuff. We'll just make sure it gets overnighted to you. Okay. Uh, it comes back, old packs and everything. We'll get it wow. to you. Oh, that's great. Um, but yeah. yeah, thank you. Uh, thanks again, Brock. And, uh, you know, maybe what we should do is um, connect again in a few months, uh, you know, six, three to six months, and we'll we'll do another touch base and, and see how things are going and we can uh, continue the conversation. Oh, I love to do that. Yeah. Keep you updated on how it's going in the industry and what, what, what new things we're doing. We're always different every week, it feels like. So definitely in that time frame, we'll have a lot of news. Love Sounds to do. good. All right, Brock. Thanks, thanks again. Have a good day. You too. All right. Bye-bye.